Welcome to The Hidden South, a collection of conversations between myself, Brent Walker, and the people I meet throughout the Southeast U.S. This is episode number four. Kelly and I met to talk by the Banksy, just outside the French Quarter at the old drop-in center. His story focuses on growing up in foster care and the powerful events in his life that centered around New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. This is Kelly's story. We pulled up to the drop-in center where uh, the Banksy painting is. A guy asked me for a sandwich. He didn't want money, he didn't want me to give him money. He actually wanted me to buy the sandwich. And I'm like, that's perfect. I'm gonna go ahead and do that for you, man. He goes, really? And he was just really stoked. I was like, go ahead and go in and order it because I saw you pull up. We were in there talking and uh, he loves the Banksy. That's why he sleeps there. Why does that spot mean so much to you? Well, when I was a kid, it was um, it was a place of refuge. I was a street kid in the quarter, and I was doing a lot of hitchhiking and traveling. New Orleans became a hub, and that the drop-in center was a place for street kids to get a shower, call their moms and dads, and tell them where they're at and that they're okay or whatever. And um, later on, they had a health department underneath where you could get health services and stuff, and you had to take health courses and you know, sex ed courses and stuff to get the benefits. And one of the benefits they had is a, a voucher for sandwiches. You could go over to the orange store and get a po' boy, you know? That's and so cool. when he asked for a sandwich, I'm like, sure, I'll pay forward. So you said that New Orleans kind of became a hub for you. Um, what, where did you grow up? Colorado mostly. Um, a little bit in Kansas because, um, you know, during the Reagan administration, everybody was broken, poor, looking for jobs. and my dad found work in Garden City, Kansas, or Dodge City, Kansas. Okay. But um, they were heroin addicts when I was young. Your parents? Yeah, they. My mom doesn't own up to it anymore because she's moved on with her life. She became a six percenter and and succeeded on getting off of it. She's been off of it for a long time. Really a long time. She, um, she doesn't just doesn't acknowledge that was part of her past. She had to exit out, I guess, apparently, Yeah. to move on. What was it like for you growing up around it? Um, my early consciousness was riding around in the country in a backseat of a, of a car looking for Mr. Black everywhere we went. Mr. Black meaning? Heroin. Yeah. yeah. I call it Mr. Black. That's what we called it back then. They, they were trying to be creative, you know, to... Not, I don't know. So that's what your parents would call it? Yeah. What about your dad? Vietnam vet, jacked up in the head. Um, Did he ever get off? Huh? Did he ever get off of heroin? He was was forced to get off of heroin because he went to prison for a really long time. But um, he went to the mental health prison. And he's just been cocked up on every drug, everything you can imagine. And because he's in the VA now, they just keep him hocked up on morphine and all kinds of cool drugs. He's just, he's just a functioning drug addict. He's disabled. He's, he's junk. What was the, did he have specific mental health diagnoses? Oh, schizophrenia and bipolar and all the good ones, you know. Yeah, big stuff. Yeah. He really, he, he really came close to ruining our lives pretty harshly. How so? Um, 
attacked me and my mom and tried to kill us. And I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, they were arguing and fighting and he was on top of my mom hurting her and I jumped on his back and he flipped me over and I black out. But from there my mom picked up my little brother, ran out the door, I gave her enough time for that and gave her a head start and she got out and uh, was running down our road and a cop came and put her in the car and turned around and shot my dad because he wouldn't stop. So, How old were you? Eight. Shit. Yeah. Vietnam flashback, whatever it might have been, you know. He didn't go to the insane asylum. He actually got convicted, but then he went to a medical psychological prison. And so was State he, Hospital in Colorado. Was he there most of your childhood? The rest of my childhood. I went and looked him up. He was living in Wichita, Kansas. And when I was traveling around and stuff, I stopped by and saw him a couple times. And just no relation. You know, just, he's really a bad person. When that all happened, I was put in a state custody and never made it home other than for visits and, yeah. you know, long weekends or vacations or whatnot. So I, I was a, um, I was in a boy's home at the age of 11. What was that like? 40 boys. Um, I was the youngest. Most of them were 14 and above when I... Was it hard being the youngest? At the first, yeah. I learned a lot of bad habits I don't like that, man. <laughs> from the older kids. I went through all the bad foster cares. One of the first ones I was in was a family that um, the family ate an actual dinner that they prepared. Yeah. And all the foster kids ate like a tuna pasta that was made and put in the crisper of the refrigerator. And then if there was any mold on it, you picked it off and you ate from underneath it until it was gone. And then it was made again, but you you got you had to w sit there and watch them eat eggs and bacon for for uh, breakfast and you know nice lunches and like steak and and salad for dinner and we're sitting there just eating this pasta crap out of a drawer. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that was a tough one. There was like sixteen foster kids at that place, man. In one home? Yeah. Holy shit. So what what, uh, what happened after you got out of foster care? Well, first let me tell you what happened in, in the boys' home. I, okay. I was in FFA and 4-H and all that. I was highly successful. Um, a high school graduate because, you know, I had a really good woods teacher. And him and I had a good partnership where he started a pizzeria and, and I was his um, waiter, busboy, um, dishwasher you know yeah. and it was just him and me working and and we'd have a full house every night and it was it was pretty kick butt and he he helped me through school basically he made sure my senior year went without a hitch you know huh. and uh, a lot of good things happened in in 4-H and FFA I uh, I sold a grand champion steer that I raised and showed sold it for like $38,000 oh and I was able to buy a truck really nice big truck and a horse trailer and paint it to match my truck and during rodeo we were we were traveling around we came to new orleans and we had the two horses in the trailer and we parked over on burgundy street burgundy burgundy yeah. I, I didn't burgundy. want to correct you but you know 
w that first time it was Burgundy Street. Right, we didn't right, know right, any right. better, you, you know. Anybody. Yeah, so we parked there and we walked down to Bourbon and we we saw all the horses, you know, and the cops on horses and we're like, oh, they're horse friendly here, so our horses need to stretch their legs. So we went back up and we were walking them up and down Burgundy Street, man. <laughs> And they were like, well, cop in a cop car pulled up and said, whoa, 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 you can't do this. you got to go to City Park to do that. And we're like, where's City Park? And he's like, Esplanade, right here. Go straight up. You'll run right into it. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. So we went up to City Park, and we are like, oh, let's just circle the horse and trailer. We'll camp down here. This seems like a cool camping spot. And we camped down and woke up the next morning with about 10 cop cars and a whole bunch of mad golfers. We were right in the middle of the golf course. <laughs> Horses were hobbled and, and hopping around, eating the green and eating the grass. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. We all had our letters from our parents saying, if we get in trouble, don't, don't arrest us. We're, not, we're all kids, you know. Yeah. We don't know no better. And <laughs> the cops couldn't read it, really, because they're sitting there going like this. Like, what the hell do we do, man? Just pack up and leave and don't ever come back to New Orleans, man. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly you didn't listen. No, no. So... I went home, uh, a lot of things happened. My, my girlfriend got pregnant by my best friend and they had to get married and that means I couldn't marry her, obviously. And so home got a little little frustrating, so I left home. Uh, I failed at rodeo, by the way. Yeah, yeah, didn't work out. No, then I hit an elk with my truck and rolled it. Insurance said it wasn't a domestic animal, so they couldn't cover it, so I lost my truck. The trailer didn't matter no more. And so a backpack worked, and so met a buddy, and we were hitchhiking together, and we got to Lake Charles, and we were trying to hitchhike out of Lake Charles, and no one would pick us up. We saw the train, and we went over and hopped the train. We waited for the next one, and we jumped on it. And it dropped us off in, over in Bridge City area. We walked over the Huey P. Long, Walked all the way down Jefferson Highway to Claiborne and uh, walked down into the CBD mm -hmm. and found ACDC live at the, the, the park in front of City Hall. Really? And we could wonder, we were like, what the heck's going on? Are they a cover band? What? What's going on here? Nope. Not a cover band. ACDC. ACDC. Free at the park. That's it was a Thursday, cool. you know, the live at the park on Thursdays. Yeah. Yep, that's what it was. So when did you actually move here? I was supposed to get this job building, you know, the the mega dump trucks and went through the whole rigmarole and got all the way to the to the drug test and failed the mm -hmm. failed the pot test and it was like shucks, you know, like, so I missed out on a great opportunity there, so I moved back to New Orleans after that. Got a job as a brick mason. Worked as a brick mason up until Katrina happened. Yeah, let's talk about Katrina. Well, I started dating my girlfriend in May, four months or so before Katrina. I had been chasing her for about a year and a half. She was recently divorced. Not quite divorced, separated, I guess. I was just trying to, you know, work my way in there, you know. We finally hooked up and we, our first date was to a, a jazz fest to see uh, Elvis Costello. 
pals lounge was a huge part of our lives. I lived in the neighborhood over there and it was fun time, you know. We didn't have a lot of worries or anything really. And Katrina hit and her and her children stayed with me. We had it quite easy. We just had a pecan tree fall in the house and bust the window open on the east side and it was just flooding with air and I had to go and get plywood and block it but I had to open every window on the other side of the house so it didn't blow the fucking roof off. And what part of town were you in? Mid-city. We had four foot in the front yard and, and five foot in the backyard. That's a lot. Or vice versa, I'm sorry. V vice versa, five foot in the front yard and four foot in the backyard. A lot of my neighbors came over and stayed with us because their house is flooded. Uh, the cook and butcher at the corner store by my house uh, they lived ground floor and their place flooded almost immediately so they were at my house and then my neighbors went to bed and the next morning woke up with it and it was in the house and so they all they all came over was there any serious injuries or uh, the people that were around us to you? around us there was a lot of violence really yeah um, well, crazy things would happen. You'd hear a baby cry, you'd hear a baby cry, you'd hear a baby cry all day. Everything echoes, you know, and it's just this loud noise. And you'd hear gunshots and no more baby crying. And you'd left you wonder, you know, just left you wondering, like, what could have possibly happened? You know, dogs barking too, and then you hear gunshots and no dogs barking. What happened to the dogs? What happened to the dogs? A lot of that was going on, and then it was Wednesday night, after the storm, the storm was on on Monday. On Wednesday night, we had a black ops guy pull up with a uh, with a jet ski and asked me if I had roof access. Yeah. And I said yes, and he says I need it. And I thought he was getting something from this guy delivered or something, you know, or more help or something, you know. Right. And we got up on the roof, and I followed him, and. He took a shot at someone down the road. He was like, I, he was talking to someone in his ear. Yeah, I got a shot. I got a clear shot. And I'm like, no, dude, you cannot kill my neighbors off off my roof, dude. Like, get the fuck out of here. And I cursed him all the way down the stairs, all the way down. I'm like, dude, no, man. Yeah. And uh, so he's like a government guy. Dick Cheney's fucking special forces, and. You can ask Tammy about that. That was a crazy time. We were just like, what the fuck just happened, man? Like, no, you can't shoot my neighbors off out of my house. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Shoot people and leave? Like, no, fuck you, man. It sounds like there was a lot of fear. I mean, it had to be a lot oh, of fear. Oh, man, you know, yeah. Things getting shot and possibly people getting shot. Well, there was a lot of people shot on, on Broad that night. That I mean, there were so many gunshots. It was like a war up there, man. And it was Dick Cheney's forces shooting looters. Really? Taking them all out. And then they were tying them up in, uh, in, in like chains and, and dragging them through the streets with boats. No shit. You saw that? Yeah. I mean, the death after Katrina was just freaking ridiculous. I mean, the amount of friends committing suicide, the amount of friends being attacked and uh, killed in their homes or, or you know, my friend hanging himself because his wife wanted to divorce, and so he went and hung himself in the front yard the next day, and it was during Halloween time, so everyone just thought it was Halloween art, and he hung there for like six hours. And it got it got really tough. That's why I had to leave in 07, man. 08, I'm sorry, 08. 
I had to get the hell out of here, man. Yeah. It was just becoming so depressing. Where'd you go? First, I went to Florida. To I followed Tammy. She went down there to finish raising her daughter. She needed decent schools and everything for, yeah. for her daughters. And so she fell back on her family, got her kids in decent schools, went through the divorce process and got that all taken care of and pretty much restarted her own life. But again, it was in 08 and it was a recession and hard to get jobs and there wasn't many jobs down there. And I wasn't really feeling it and I didn't really like the area or the people. And so I was having a hard time down there. And so I was like, screw it, I'm going to Alaska. And so I packed a backpack and I hitchhiked across the country. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you feel like is important? Palace Lounge, 2006. I had a I had a moment of time where um, everything was coming pretty hard, and I had a I had a little falling out, mental fallout, and I held myself hostage at the bar. I got a whole bunch of charges, and I spent some time in, in OPP, some real time. It was a dangerous time. I mean, the SWAT, uh, SWAT team was called and, and I mean, I was tased and beaten and like, I mean, I was, I was destroyed, man. Those cops hurt me bad. I went to court and most of my charges were beat, but the one of having a gun in, in a public place and uh, because I had no bullets, it made it less of a weapon. And my lawyer was able to appeal it and get my 10 years um, sentence to Angola taken. And I became a free man. Wow. After do you remember Katrina. the day that it happened? I mean, do you remember the details of Sep it? I believe it was September 29th or 28th into the 29th and it's my darkest day it's my it's the harsh one man what I mean Tammy and I never really got back together after that we were always kind of working on it yeah and it, it just wasn't gonna happen and that's why she moved off to Florida and later after Gustav Gustav I got pulled over dirt I was one of the first people back after Gustav because yeah. everybody left man I was one of the first p per people back and I, I stopped by my neighbor Carl and him and his family were there and I was like, hey, you need anything from the store? I'll be, I'll be right back. I am going to the store and he's like, yeah, we need some uh, charcoal. And I'll grab that charcoal so that we could have a barbecue that night. No power or nothing. So I'm like, cool, I'll grab some charcoal. Some cops pulled me over as I made the corner off of Dumain onto Orleans. They were like, they're like, oh, look at you, oh, you think you're better than us, and looking at my record and stuff, oh, you met, you got out of Angola time, oh, you got a broken taillight, and, like, st started, like, really harassing me, and they beat me up, they put me in their car, I called my friend and was able to throw him the keys to my car, because God only knows if they were going to come back and steal that. Got them to take my car around the corner to our house, into our driveway, and, um, they took me to jail and they stopped a couple places and beat me up because I, I was loud, man. I was pissed. I'm like, you bitches ain't even 
from my neighborhood. I know all my patrolling officers. I ain't never seen y'all. You ain't even from here. Where you from? Third Ward? You New Orleans East? What? You know, like, I wasn't even playing with them. And they beat me up, and they finally got me a jail. They said I had no proof of insurance, broken tail light, broken headlight, and my license plate light was uh, not working or whatever. And this is daytime. I'm like four, four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So I didn't deal with any of that shit until I came back from Alaska. I went out there into the world with no driver's license. I just drove anyway. I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care because because I was so mad about that situation. And when I got back, one of Tammy's first jobs was a secretary for a lawyer, a district, uh, district attorney. And she's like, should I talk to her about that? I'm like, yeah, go ahead, talk to her about that. Man, she walked into the courtroom and lit up a judge. And man, all that shit was thrown away and I had my license back. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Free of charge, she was just so livid about it. Like, she saw all the evidence, like. How would they, why would they care about his license plate light when it's four o'clock in the afternoon, arresting time? Like, she had it all right there, man. Like, yeah. So, stuff like that saved, you know, was saving grace, but, I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars for each, each one of those. And the day you had the break, though, I want to go back to that. It Do was you remember what happened that day, what you were feeling that day, like what? Pressure, man. I was... I literally felt like I was under a pile of rubble and I was stuck like Chuck all damn day. And no alcohol or n nothing could could fill that void, man. None, none could fix it. And it was anxiety driven. I I just really lost it, man. Like, was it just personal stuff going on in your life? It was. It was. It was mostly everything to do with my relationship all the way down to just how I felt in, in town. I mean, it was the year had just passed, the year anniversary of Katrina, and, and like, I mean, it was getting worse. It wasn't getting no better, and I know I made it worse, but I mean, it stayed worse for a really long time, man, until yeah. until Gustav, and then I was like, I'm out of here, man. Like, I can't stand this shit. One quick thing, yeah. the, the Palace thing, I'm, I've been barred for life. I love the owners to death. Um, they they spoke for me at my trial, not against me, and I love them for it. And they're still good friends. I talk to them every time I see them, and there's no shyness. But um, a lot of the patrons are still my friends. You know, the people that I kicked out to hold myself hostage, they're still my friends. So hopefully uh, there there's no one out there that hates me for it, but my darkest day was a tough one. Yeah, sounds and like it, man. Yeah, and I had a lot of friends that uh, stu uh, stood up and helped me out too. You know, I respect those guys, and I don't, I, I don't want to excuse the behavior, but I want them to know that that I appreciate that I didn't go to prison for ten years. You know. Yeah, for sure. So, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hidden South. All stories are edited for clarity and brevity. You can view hundreds of portraits and stories, including this one, at thehiddensouth.com.